You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. So we are on the sixth and last installment of our series called Abide. If you haven't been with us for a couple of Sunday, we have been looking into the book of John. So it's like a mini book study. And we will conclude this series on the book of John chapter 17. So I'd like for us to turn our Bibles for a while to John chapter 17. We will be reading a lengthy passage here today. And the reason for that is, it's a prayer that Jesus uttered. So meaning to say, we have to take it for what it is. So meaning to say, we have to look into the entire prayer. We'll try to cover the entire thing later. This is in John chapter 17, verses 1 down to verse 26. It's called, The High Priestly Prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given the Son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given the Son, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you, have gave, whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know that in truth that I, have, that I came from you. And they have believed that you have sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled, Judas. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Amen? Tayo yun. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, and they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and this know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I'd love to make a recap, but if I do that, we'll run out of time. So if you know what this series is all about, just listen to the podcast. The end of this series is talking now about what we call the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gusto ko lang maintindihan yung kung gano'ng ka-importante ito. Okay, so ang Ang title na ito, kumbaga, ang sabi raw, accordingly, is this is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Now, truth of the matter is, we've encountered what we called the Lord's Prayer. Right? So, pero, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, the reality is, the Lord's Prayer actually is the disciples' prayer. Because the Lord's Prayer came with the request of the disciples, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then sabi ni Jesus, this is how you ought to pray. So the real Lord's Prayer is this one. Alright? So I'm not saying that that is not the Lord's Prayer. That's what Jesus said. But this one right here is really the prayer of the Lord. Actually, there are 10, if I'm not mistaken, there are 10 recorded prayers of Jesus in the Bible. And the most important one, I would say, the peak of it all, the pinnacle of it all is this one, the high priestly prayer. If you're not yet convinced with how important John chapter 17 is, you know, Derek Thomas said when he was preaching on this same text, here's what he says. Derek Thomas, I'm talking about a great theologian, a great preacher of the word. Pero, when he was given the assignment to preach in John chapter 17, he started saying, I have never felt inadequate in preaching until today because I feel like I am standing on sacred ground. And that is why John Calvin says we are actually taking a peek into the very soul of Christ. All right? So let me just begin by looking into this. We'll focus on verses 1 to 3. But the reason why I have asked us to read the entire chapter is because to support what we're going to cover in verses 1 to 3, we will be using the different verses scattered all around chapter 17. So here's how you're going to do it. Here today, I'd like for you to open your Bibles in John chapter 17. Just keep that open because we will be all over John chapter 17. Let's read verses 1 down to verse 3. Here's what it says here. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hours come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So what do we have here? So first, here's what I'd like for us to understand. One of the many ways at which we try to study Scripture is, you look for repetitions. But the thing here is that while looking into this, I've realized that there are several repeated words here. So I'm going to take one of the many repeated words 
And the words that I'd like for us to look into is the word giving. Because I feel like the word giving is scattered in the book of John chapter 17. Okay, so what we have here today are two gift givings for God's glory. Two kinds of gift givings. You folks love receiving gifts? I have just received a box full of chocolates from Gigi all the way from Pakistan. Now, look at this one. Here's the first one. The first one is the heavenly father's gift to the son. Let me repeat that. The first one is the heavenly father's gift to the son. Look at this. It says here, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Look at this. Since you have given him, all right? John chapter 17 is actually divided into three parts. It talks about the person of Christ. It talks about the people of Christ. And it talks about the petition of Christ. So here, what we have is the person of Christ. It says here, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life, to all whom you have given him. Now, the most powerful recorded sermon in the Bible is found in Acts chapter 2. During the birth of the church, we realize that this was Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He started preaching. And look at the words of Peter that resonates with John chapter 17, verse 2. Here's what Peter says. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, Jesus whom you crucified. All right? Peter here actually echoes what John chapter 17 says, that Jesus was given all authority over all flesh. Amen? Meaning to say, He's Lord of all. He's Lord of all creation. That is the Jesus that we worship. Now, interestingly, interestingly, there are several other verses that talks about the Father giving to the Son in John chapter 17. Look at this. We also have one in, in verse 6. In verse 6, it says here, I have manifested your name, look at this, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. In verse 9, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Alright, so first, I'd like for us to understand that if you look at verse 1, verse 6, and verse 9, another one, verse 20, I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me. What do we have here? It's obvious that the Father has given something to the Son. The Father has given something to the Son. We see that in verses 6, verse 9, and verse 20. Okay, so what explains, what is it that the Father has given to the Son? Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Look at what Paul says. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Look at this. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. What do we have here? What do we have in John chapter 1, verse 6, 9, and 20? 
And what do we have in Ephesians chapter 1? Obviously, we see that the Father has given something to the Son. In fact, we're not talking about something. We're talking about a group of people. Is it clear? You folks see that in those verses? Listen, I'm simply showing you what we have in these verses. All right? So, the Father has given to the Son a group of people. Now, a clearer explanation of that, like what we said, is found in Ephesians chapter 1. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, when it says here, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. What do we have here? Now, the Father has given a group of people to the Son, and they are called the elect. If you would like for me to create an efficient one derived definition of elect, here's how it looks like. The elect basically are the chosen for salvation before the world's foundation. Catch it? The elect are the chosen for salvation before the world's foundation. All right? This is a covenant. This is a covenant between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that before the world was even created, guess what? Guess what? God has already chosen you. Catch it? Before things were created, God's eyes were already on you. That was a covenant, that was an agreement between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the first one. So, now, because God the Father gave the elect to the Son, I did say a while ago that we're talking about two gifts here, two gift givings. The Son, in turn, everybody say in turn. The Son, in turn, gave something to the elect. Now, let me read this. In turn, Jesus has a gift for the elect. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You. Since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. What is the gift of the Son to the elect? Eternal life. Are you folks following the logic of this? The Father gave the elect to the Son, and in turn, the elect gives eternal life to that which the Father has given Him. So here's my question. What is eternal life? What is eternal life? An easy answer to that is, eternal life then is life without end. Do you think that passes as a... Definition for eternal life, yeah, could be. But I do not think that basically or thoroughly explains what eternal life is. Eternal life is not just life without end, right? Because I'd like for us to understand that this is not just about living forever. Jesus himself in John chapter 17 will have to disagree if that is just our definition of what eternal life is. Here's what he has to say. Look at this. If you ask Jesus, Jesus, what is eternal life? Here's what Jesus says in verse 3. And this is eternal life. 
And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 3 doesn't tell us, and this is eternal life, that they will live forever and ever. So Jesus himself was quick to say that eternal life is what? Come on now, eternal life is knowing God. And knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. He says eternal life is not really about the number of years. Because to begin with, we have to understand it cannot be measured by number of years. Let's try to look into this. If you look at eternal life and you think it's just about numbers, I think we are mistaken if that is our perspective. Because that is what happens when people would want to be with Jesus Christ because of heaven. All right? Because they, they simply want to escape hell or they simply want to escape judgment. But it loses the essence of what eternal life really is. We cannot measure eternity. We understand that. We cannot count eternity. It is measured with, I want you to understand this. It is measured with, marked by, not with the number of years, but knowing God in those years. Right? Let me further explain this. Here's the next question. If we say that eternal life is knowing God, that it's not really about the number of years, but it's really knowing God in the number of years. So here's the next question. How then will I know God? How then can I know God? And the answer to that is very simple. What does the Bible teach us when it comes to knowing God? Knowing God comes this way. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the image of the invisible God. Are you folks catching this? Knowing God is through Jesus Christ because He is the image of the invisible God. In short, if you look at this, it's like a realignment for us and a correction as well. The quality of it resides in our relationship with God. If you're talking about the quality of eternal life. And if you come to think of it, pag-isipin natin, okay, bakit nga ba eternal life? Pero Archie is teaching us that it's about knowing Christ. Here's what it looks like. God, as we understand, is infinite. Right? His existence actually is unfathomable. Now, you're given eternal life so that you can actually, what? Catch up in knowing Him. Because truth of the matter is, we can never exhaust who God is. But in the number of years that we are with Him, we can actually be intimate with Him. Let me just try to explain this first. Oh, you're married. For those who are married, you folks know that it takes forever to actually fully know who your wife or husband is. Is it right? Even if you've been married for 53 years, you realize that there is some things that you discover about him or her. Come on now. Let's look into something so finite. Let's look into the ocean. Now, with the advancement of technology in the world right now, can scientists come up with a conclusion that we have covered the entire ocean? We know what is in the depth of the ocean? The answer is an absolute no. Now, listen to this. If something that is so finite 
takes forever to discover how much for some for someone who is so infinite. How much more for someone who is so beyond our thinking, who is so beyond our mind. Someone we cannot fully comprehend. That is a picture of eternity. So the first important qualities of eternal life is intimacy with God. It is intimacy with God. You are given what? A lifetime to have that kind of a relationship with God. The rest of the prayer of Jesus actually looks into some important qualities. I have to qualify this very carefully. Okay, these are important, I would say, inevitable. They will come. I have here different qualities of eternal life. So later, pwede kayong mag-assess. Malalaman mo actually kung Krisyano ka, kung itong qualities that I'm going to mention here today are actually qualities that you are enjoying or are in your life. So number one is intimacy with God. Mind consumed by God. Mind that every step of the way you keep thinking about God. Mind that has a regard for the honor of God. But don't you worry folks because like what I said, these qualities are inevitable. They will come. You know why? Why will they come? These qualities are inevitable because this is Jesus' prayer. Eh, yung prayer nga natin, sinasagot, ano na lang kayong prayer ng God the Son? Are folks with me? So if Jesus prayed this for us, then may, may, my goodness, thank you Jesus for praying this for us. So the first one is intimacy with God. We find that in verse 3. The next one is actually important as well. It is an unavoidable, important quality of eternal life that Jesus said in His prayer in John chapter 17. I'd like for us to look at this. Look at verse 20 down to verse 23. It says here, I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22 says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me. Right? That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. What do we have here? Right? So what do we have here? If you look at this, Jesus is saying, together with gift giving, Jesus keeps talking about, Father in me, I in you. He says, I in them, you in me. And folks, take note, if you look at this, this is talking about all of us. This is not talking about the original disciples now. So what do we have here? It talks about what? It talks about oneness. It talks about unity. Come on now. It talks about unity. If you look at this, Father are in me and I in you, even as we are one, I in them and you in me. Now, here's the question. Of course, we have to pattern this. It's, it's very obvious in verse 21. He's pertaining to Father and the Son, and we have to resemble that kind of unity. So the question now is, if you look at this, how are the Father and Son one? How are they one? They are one in what? They are one in? They're one in love. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one in love. 
That's a picture of their unity for that matter. So if that is the case, we too, with each other, should be one in love. Look at this. John chapter 12, verse 49, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Now here's what's interesting. The word unity in the churches right now has been so diluted. I'd like for us to understand that whenever you talk about unity, it always has to have a context. It always has to have a context. Look at this. The context of that, actually, one of the contexts of that is found in John chapter 12 and one in John chapter 8 verse 26. The one who sent me is truthful, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. In other words, in his time on earth, Jesus only said what the Father says. Catch it? He only said what the Father said. The words he spoke are only what he hears the Father speaks. So what is my point? They are not just one in love, but they are also one in truth. Alright? They are one in love, and they are one in truth. In short, the second quality, important quality of eternal life is this. Unity with each other in truth and love. Unity with each other. Tayo daw po. We have to be united with each other in truth and love. Unity doesn't mean tolerance. Come on now. Hello? Unity doesn't just mean love wins. Do whatever you want to do. It's totally fine. Nope. The aspect of truth should always be incorporated with unity. So meaning to say, I want you to understand this. What is more loving? Or rather, who is more loving? A person who leaves you live a life that will destroy you or a person who tells you, if you don't do that, here's the truth. You will destroy your life. Who is more loving with the two? The one who just accommodates and tolerates or the one who speaks the truth in love? We understand that it is the one who speaks the truth in love. I mean, who tells you that you have dandruff? Who tells you that your breath stinks? Who tells you that your attitude stinks? Strangers? People you don't know. People who love you, isn't it? So if we are going to be united accordingly, we have to be united in what? In love and in truth. These two things should not be taken away from each other. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10 to 12. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So meaning to say, what do we have here? If we are to be united, we have to be united in the truth. Now, in church, it could mean this way. It could mean that we have to be united in the essential truth. Salvation by grace through faith alone. So meaning to say, if you are attending a victory group, you realize, okay, uh, how come How come what is being taught here is no longer aligned with the truth? Then you have to come in and correct person or the people in love. That is one. The other one is, if people are living an ungodly lifestyle, you have to speak the truth in love as well. That's being united and that is being truthful. Are you folks with me? That is being loving and that is being truthful. The problem with the church today is that we try to what? We try to accept everything that's thrown at us, even at the expense of truth. That should not be the case. We have to be united in truth and love. The second inevitable gift of eternal life is unity 
with each other in truth and love. That is why I'm quite you know, excited for some of the things that we will be doing. We were meeting with our Every Nation Campus, Campus Missionaries, Kids Church under Mark DeQuito, and we will have a simple, concise theology class for our preteens. 10 years old, 15 years old, we're going to call it Plants and Pillars. Why? Because we want to lay a good foundation of, on them. So that when they turn 18, when they turn 19, they will not just believe all the crap out there. Are you folks with me? It has to be aligned. It has to be aligned with God's Word. I've talked with our worship coordinator and you know how appreciative we are with how things are done in victory, and we love it, right? So we love the excellence that we're doing here. I've talked with our worship coordinator, I've talked with Genty, and I told her, from now on, let's try to do something. Yung program, we'll change it. We're not gonna call it program anymore. Because if you get the paper, you'll realize, man, this is so excellently done, it puts their program for this worship service. But we're removing that anymore. Why? We're gonna be calling this order of worship. Because in the first place, this isn't an event. Come on now. This is not an event. Is this an entertainment? Is this a concert? It is not. It is a worship service. And therefore, it has to be come that way. The problem with the church sometimes is the things that we're doing are culturally derived instead of being Bible-shaped for that matter. So we're simply what? We're simply growing in the truth. We are aligning ourselves in the truth. Oh nga, bakit pala ganun yung ginagawa natin? Why are we doing things this way? So sometimes as we grow as Christians, as we grow as a church, as we process things, we grow together in truth and love. And we are united when it comes to these things. I love what Stephen Lawson said. The higher our theology, the higher our doxology. When we know God, we will worship God. Worship is not just our singing here a while ago. No. That's not worship. This entire thing is worship. Next time, don't come late for worship. Amen? Come on now. Let's go further. Let's go to the third one. Verses 16 and 17. Look at this. It says here, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Then it says, look at this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now here, Jesus in his prayer talks about what? Sanctification. He says, Lord, I'm looking into those people that you've given me. Lord, here's my prayer, God. Sanctify them. Sanctify them. And what's interesting here is that here's what Jesus says. You have to what? You have to sanctify them in the truth. Now, let me just try to further explain this for those of you who might not know what sanctify means. When you say sanctify, it simply means to be set apart. Set apart. Pag ikaw, Christiano ka, if you are a Christian, you have been set apart. Catch it? You have been set apart. Now, let me further explain this for a while. So, what will separate us and make us different from the rest of the world? What will separate us and make us different from the rest of the world? What? Sanctify them in the, in the truth. 
if I look at verse 17, it simply tells me that if I do not know the truth, won't be different from the world. The reason why while you're working and everyone's throwing green jokes, everyone's allowing, holding each other's body parts, if there is no uproar or protest in your spirit, then there's something wrong. Let me just try to explain this further. Look at this. Your practical living. What does it mean? Your daily practices. The way you live your life on Monday after today. After today. The way you live your life on Wednesday in the workplace at home. Your practices are results of your values. Catch it? Your values are shaped by your worldview. Your worldview are formed by the diet of your mind. So if that is the case, if our practices are similar with the rest of the world, if you do not stand out, if you are not different, then it goes on to say that you are not in the Word. You are not in the Word. I'm going to say something that's quite heavy after this. If you are not in the Word then you are of the world. If you are of the world, then you are of the devil. We get sanctified by the truth. Someone was messaging me, this was like last 2020, the start of the pandemic. And the person was asking about meditation. I was like, all right, yeah. Of course we meditate. No, 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 you didn't get me. My point is, do we do meditation as well? What meditation are you talking about? I mean, emptying ourselves. What emptying ourselves are we talking about? Christian meditation is not emptying yourself. Christian meditation is filling yourself with God's Word. So why are you falling into that? It's because you lack what? God's Word in your life. Yung worldview mo galing sa TikTok, yung worldview mo galing sa Instagram, yung worldview mo galing sa influencer. Guess what? Who's the greatest influencer in our lives? The influencer on Facebook, on YouTube, the Christian influencer that you have, or God's Word? I mean, these are things that we have to look into if we are to be, there has to be unity in the truth. Because the thing here is, the world will feast on us with lies and half-truths. And lies are something that we have to despise as God's people, as God's children. The dangerous thing about being in this world, as all of us might agree on, is that Jesus is sending us out into the world. Right? The danger of being consumed and ungoved by the world is actually there. No, I'm not saying that we have to live monastic lifestyle. I'm not saying that you have to make kulung yourself in your compound and not mingle with people. That is not the case. Because we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Are you folks with me? That's what Jesus has been teaching us. Meaning to say, yes, we are to swim in the currents of the world, but we are not to go with the flow because only dead fish 
flow with the current. If your spiritual life is like a stinking dead fish, here's what you lack, friends. God's Word. Don't you please rely on the preachings here every Sunday. If you do that, you realize that these things won't be enough. Let me go to the, to the next one. The second half of the important qualities of eternal life here on earth. So far, this is what we've covered. Intimacy with God, unity with each other in truth and love, sanctity in the truth. The next one is safety from evil. Safety from evil. And look at the sequence of this. The reality is, it goes on to say, that if you're sanctified by the truth, you'll be safe from evil. Tama? If you know for a fact that you've been set apart, you know for a fact that you've been following Christ, then you're actually safe from the schemes and the lies of Satan. I am praying for them, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Verse 11, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Look at this. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Then he says, Which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, while I was with them. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. So Jesus was essentially saying, Lord, here's my prayer for these current disciples of mine. Please guard and keep them. For the disciples that will be rich in the future, talking about you and me, guess what? Jesus is interceding for us, and Jesus' prayer for us is what? That we will be guarded and kept by the Lord. Of course, it was very clear here that that didn't happen to Judas in order for the purposes of the Lord to be fulfilled. Do you realize that this is a powerful prayer for Jesus to tell God to keep you? That is a beautiful prayer if you come to think of it. That's something you can pray, Lord, keep me. Meaning to say, if you're kept, hemmed in the very mercy and grace of God, then you know for a fact that you will be saved. This is a prayer request of the Son. He prays for what? He even prays for, if you look at this, the perseverance of the saints. He prays that we are kept. He prays that we are guarded. The next one, look at this in verse 6. And Gigi is here. And look at this. It says here, And I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Look at this. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Look at verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me. You know, verse 6 actually tells us how Jesus claimed and continues to claim the Father's gift for Him, the elect. And how is that possible? Through what? It says here, through manifesting God's name to them, by giving them the words that the Father gave Him. In short, by preaching the gospel to them. By preaching the gospel to them. The petition of Christ 
actually involves world missions. The petition of Christ actually involves what? Preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen? And I think, you know, as a local church, we have to embrace that calling. We have to embrace that calling. Embrace the calling that yes, we are here in Dumaguete, but what? But what are we going to do? We're going to preach the gospel in the nations of the world. And that's why I said, you know, Gigi's here and she's leaving on February 23. So she's going to go back to the nation. It's been four years now. She was poised to be one of the principal in one of the schools here. And she heard the calling of the Lord. Maybe for some of you, God is calling you to be a cross-cultural missionary. She's living the best life. Amen? Amen? <laughs> in the same way that Jesus preached the gospel to them, they are to do the same thing to the rest of the world. As we can see the last few lines in this prayer at the end of the chapter, look at this in verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. Verse 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. This is what we call our believers. This is what we call our ministry of reconciliation. We have been given this ministry by our Lord Jesus Christ to make His name known in the different parts of the world. The next essential quality of eternal life is this, ministry to the world. Intimacy with God, unity with each other in truth and love, sanctity in the truth, safety from evil, ministry in the world. And the last one is this, and I'll end with this. The last one is found in verse 13, and that is what? Felicity in the Son. Felicity in the Son. What is felicity? What is felicity? It is something that the Puritans love to use. Okay, they love using these words. And I know you'll love it too once you know its meaning. If you look at verse 13, here's what it says. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. You know what felicity is? Felicity is true happiness. It is true happiness. How does it happen? How does it happen? In verse 13, But now I am coming to you, that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. How does it happen? Again, through the written word. You realize that the reason why we're talking about abide here, because all of these things revolve around God's word. It all still points us back to God's word. How can you be intimate with God? Through God's word. How can you be sanctified with the truth? Truth of God's Word. How are you going to minister? How are you going to bring the message in the different corners of the world? Through God's Word. How can you have joy? Through God's Word. This is what this is all about. It's all about God's Word. So now here's what we're going to do. I want to put up all of these essential qualities of eternal life, beginning with this one, intimacy with God, Unity with each other in truth and love. Sanctity in the truth. Safety from evil. Ministry to the world. Felicity in the Son. So here's my question for all of us. Whether you've been a Christian for more than two decades now, three decades, or you're a new Christian. Here are some of my questions. Number one, 
Are you enjoying all or at least any of this now? Are you enjoying all or at least any of this now? Here's the next question. Are you growing in them? Are you growing in sanctification? Are you growing in your intimacy with Christ? Are we growing in our burden and desire for the nations of the world? Are we growing in our joy in Jesus? Or you're dragging yourself to church every Sunday. You feel like this has become a chore already. Have you lost the joy of your salvation? Are you growing in your safety from evil? Do you all the more feel like, man, I am protected because I am in God's word. I am in God's fellowship. I am in God's church. These are the questions that confronts us today. These are the questions that confronts us today. And I want you to understand this. These are inevitable. These are unavoidable for those who truly have eternal life. Because like what I said, these are the prayers that Jesus has for them. So going back to those questions, are you enjoying all or any of these already? The answer to that for all of us, some of you will say yes, some of you will say no. And whether you answer yes or no, it's actually a good thing. If you answer yes, I am growing in those areas, then praise God. We praise God for that. If you say no, then praise God still. You know why? Because now, I think your eyes are open to the truth of God's Word. Now your eyes are open that that's something that you need. That I've just been going in circles the past couple of years. I truly need this joy that I get from the Son. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.